Hello and welcome to Plot Drifts. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Scandalous Desires by Elizabeth Hoyt. This was published in 2011 and is the third book in the Maiden Lane series. And this is part of the full reread or initial read of the Maiden Lane series that we are currently doing on the podcast. That's right. Should we just should we just read the the book jacket or is there anything else, any other intro information we need to talk about? Uh, I would just probably preface this with this whole book is a trigger warning. Mm, I mean, yes. <laughs> so we're going to do our best to stay spoiler, spoiler free until a spoiler tag section at the end. But I think even without getting into spoilers, there's some pretty heavy stuff here. There is. And then, I mean, I guess as usual, we have reviewed the first two in the series. And we've also reviewed the fourth. So, you know. And like the seventh. <laughs> seventh and the ninth, I think. <laughs> so we will be re-releasing those in order. So you don't have to like skip back to number no. four for the next one. No. All, All right, right, book jacket. Can a pirate learn that the only true treasure lies in a woman's heart? Widowed Silence Hollingbrook is impoverished, lovely, and kind. And nine months ago, she made a horrible mistake. She went to a river pirate for help in saving her husband, and in the process made a bargain that cost her her marriage. That night wounded her so terribly that she hides in the foundling home she runs with her brother. Except now that same river pirate is back, and he's asking for help. Charming Mickey O'Connor is the most ruthless river pirate in London. Devastatingly handsome and fearsomely intelligent, he clawed his way up through London's criminal underworld. Mickey has no use for tender emotions like compassion and love, and he sees people as pawns to be manipulated. And yet, he's never been able to forget the naive captain's wife who came to him for help. All right, this jacket is just reminding me of all the questions I had yeah. reading this book that were never sufficiently answered. But also, it is incorrect. He does not ask her for help. Never. Never. Also, you never know whether or not Silence actually regrets asking Mickey for help. Interesting. That's true. Like, hmm. her internal narrative never covers that. Because the bargain she made did save her husband's life. Like, life. yes, it mm -hmm. did ruin their marriage, but you hear her ask Mickey a lot whether he'd handle it the same. But there's never any internal deliberation from silence as to whether or not she regrets her choice or not. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's a very interesting point, actually. I never have thought of that. And this, like, gets at the, the core of my problem with this book. No one has any real depth. Or, like, consistent thinking about motivations. There's a lot of just people taking action. Mm -hmm. Not, like, people thinking about why they feel the way they feel or actually yes. being complexly developed. That's what I mean by depth. That, that makes sense because that, that's, yes, that's actually my biggest issue with this book is I don't understand why Mickey is obsessed with silence. No. Because silence is boring. 
Except when she's being stupid. (laughs) Well, as usual, we generated a random number. And then we wrote summaries of this book based on that number. And for this episode, the number we generated was 24. I don't know, Lane, you want to, you want to start? Yeah. If the men in this book were all nominated for father of the year, no award would be given. Silence is so unbelievably dumb. Okay. I take issue with that because there is one man in this book who's a wonderful father. Winter is not actually a father in this book. (laughs) I love that you knew immediately who I was talking about. Winter is a phenomenal father, but in this book, he's being a brother. (laughs) No, he has a whole conversation with Joseph Timbox. He does a lot of parenting in this book. I stand by what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right, here's my 24-word summary. Mickey, a.k.a. the worst man in London, coerces Silence into living with him by kidnapping her adopted baby. All because he loves her. Duh. Yeah. Also, Silence clearly feels maternally for this baby, even though there are 24 other babies in the foundling home. Mm-hmm. And in the first book, you saw a lot of, like, internal struggle from Temperance about how she favored sort of the first one who came to her. Yes. And, like, thinking through what that meant to kind of love one child more. Silence, again, no self-reflection. No. Silence is very, you know, I don't know, boring. I'm very bored by silence. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, the of the two characters in this book, I mean, of the two main characters in this book, Mickey is the one who's the most interesting, by far. Well, yeah, she, I think Silence is intentionally a bit of a Mary Sue. I mean, yes. Okay, yes. I will, in fact, yes. I have thought about that a lot, because I'm like, why do I find myself being a little bit let down, right? And it's because I recognize the fantasy that we're going for, which is completely ordinary woman is there's this completely extraordinary man who's just obsessed with her. And like, I get that fantasy. Like I'm a normal person and like, yes, I want someone who just someone amazing to think that I'm fantastic. Right. So like, I get it. I get it. I don't find it compelling. Well, and I think, We've talked a lot about how we're into the good guys who would do a bad thing for you more than the bad guys who would do a good thing for you. So he's extraordinary, but not our type. Yes. So I think there's a lot of layers to that. The only thing I want to say before we dive into the tropes is that like, I'm coming down really hard on this book because I don't think it made sense. And like, I do fucking hate the way he treated her. And I don't understand how they overcame that, frankly. And like, but this book ended up being really batshit and fun in a lot of ways except Uh when it was extremely dark and traumatic yeah so I feel like I'm of two minds completely about this book between like let it all go and enjoy the batshittery and like holy hell no one thought anything through and the consequences of these actions like do not make sense (laughs) and they're very violent and graphic and upsetting they are very violent I 100% agree with you 
So like, like I didn't hate this, but this book is like a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was like, that's, I think that, I think I, that's going to go in the review. This book is like a lot. <laughs> Whatever. So, I, I'm okay. The biggest trope is that he's a bad boy, right? That's like the big thing. Right. He's the anti-hero slash bad boy. So I don't know right. if we can go so far as to call him an anti-hero. Depends on how you define it, right? Some people would def- define, some romance readers would define an anti-hero as someone at the beginning of the book whose goal is to hurt or ruin the her- heroine, right? Like that would be the anti-hero. Yeah, but I think he, he even admits that was his goal with what he did to her in book one. Right, in book one, yes. So in this book, no, he never sets out with the intent of harming her, but he has in the text. Yeah. So, but anyway, a lot of times when we talk about bad boy heroes, we're like, well, he's a bad boy, but he's not really a bad boy. Nikki's a bad boy. Yeah. I think the big trope of the romance is they are forced to stay together for her protection, and that leads to forced proximity. Mm-hmm. I mean. We prefer the bodyguard version of this trope. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Not the we're together because I coerced you into it. A la the, Benedict Bridgerton. Not the captive version. Right, right. Yeah, the part where she couldn't leave her room, I was like, sir, a line has been crossed here. And the fact <laughs> that that was in the period of time where she was falling for him, <laughs> I, know. I was like, Honey, mm-mm. certain things did not happen in the order they should have happened. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so we have daddy issues, and we're talking about his daddy issues, not hers. Yeah. So he had a real fucked up childhood. Uh-huh. Yes, he certainly did. And then we yeah. learned that. Sorry, I was just going to say we're going to be talking about it in content warnings. Don't worry. And then, unlike Winter, who has seen the suffering of children and has decided to abstain from sex in the name of not creating more bastards, um, Mickey apparently has translated his fucked up childhood into I will fuck anything that moves and also not worry about protection. So he's produced a baby. Yeah. Yeah. This baby's mother is like basically a throwaway line about her tragic death. Yeah. She was probably like a sex worker or a mistress. Probably. Mickey has no remorse or thought about her whatsoever. And now he does not give a shit about his child. And even in coming to care for this baby, he only sort of does because he realizes it matters to silence. Yeah. It's not good. Right. It's not good. <laughs> okay. So Mickey has a secret identity. I had so many logistical questions about this that were just not even touched on. Yeah, I didn't because I, at that point, when I found this out, I did not care. Here's the thing. Only one of the two people legally exists. Yeah, but this is like the whatever, 17 whatever's, 60s, 1760s, 1780s. 
I don't know. I don't know if this is pre or post American Revolution. People could make like up birth certificates and shit. George and so yeah, this is the seventeen whatevers. He can write his own birth certificate. Like, there's no Wikipedia. There are two, but here's the thing: there are two of him, and there's one of her. So when the two of them take a legal action in his identity as Mickey at the end of the book, it's her, Silence Holingbrook, and yeah. Mickey O'Connor. Like, the fact that she's then going to go do the same thing with Michael Rivers or what the fuck ever, like, there's got to be a parish record. Like, people found out about fake marriages back then. It, it'll be fine. Mickey can afford... The your, your response soldier. to my logic is it'll be fine. I'm saying oh, look, no. I I have I a response to, to pay lips. I needed people to pay lip service to like this is how it's not going to be found out. I have a response to this, but it will have to wait until after the spoiler tag. <laughs> you don't want to spoil anything. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh yeah. So secret identity. Um, she. Oh, yeah, she gets a little makeover. You know when a widow wears color for the first time? And then add the layer of, and he bought the dress for her. And he bought it for her. Yeah. And they go to the and opera. And then it is covered in someone's face. Yeah, but I don't want to talk about that way. part. I don't want to talk about that part. In a bloody way. Oh, my God. Ah. Oh. Oh, babies and dogs know who is a good person. Yeah. I will point out that Mary Darling calls him bad for, like, most of the book. Not dad. Bad. You know how I feel about kids. <laughs> I thought she was annoying. She was annoying, but she, was, she wasn't annoying in the fact that she, a kid that age wouldn't act like that. So I did appreciate that. Yeah. Does that make sense? I appreciated that she wasn't like a super precocious, you know, kid. Well, she was like not verbal. She's like 18 months or something. I think less than that. Yeah. Like she could, she could only, she could pull herself up and she could only walk, I think, um, by holding on. She's a toddler. But she also was in like, needed a wet nurse when Silence found her on the front step. Mm-hmm. Which nine was only nine ago. months ago. So, mm-hmm. like, she's she's little, little. She's not like, yeah, she's a, she's about a, she's between twelve and eighteen months, is what I think. Right, but I think it's a little hard to be precocious at that age. I mean, I have read some <laughs> shitty books. I'll just I'll just put it that way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I'm used to like precocious four year olds talking like ten year olds. That's annoying. she's a baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's a baby, but like the things, I don't know. I, I found her convincing as a toddler. She was a plot device and she was in the way when they were making out a lot. I mean, yeah. And I didn't she, Silence put her in the way. Silence was like, if I hold the baby, he won't make out with me. He won't take things any further than this little kiss. And if that, if what you have to do to keep the guy from going further than a kiss is have a baby in between you. Hold his baby in between you. <laughs> Problematic. His baby that calls you mom. And the baby is only like between 12 and 18 months old. 
I had a long conversation with Tati when we were um, reviewing the um, courtship. There was a guy who had a kid and I was like, look, I don't know if I'm just being like judgmental because he had a child that was like less than a year old. And I was like, he's at the most, you know, like at the longest he's been with another woman, right? At least two years ago at, at the, the, the biggest amount of time. And we were both like, yeah, that's a little bit much for us, you know? Yes. So anyway. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. All right. It's final trope. We have tentatively named trash on the outside, trashy on the inside. Yeah. So he's a crime Lord. So of course his like den of iniquity has to be in the bad part of town, but obviously inside it's luxurious because he has money, but he is so gaudy and trashy that it's not like Nick Gentry who tried to make like a nice house on the inside. <laughs> it's like all he's got is a big bed covered in nice blankets and a throne room. He's got a throne room. He has a library. I, th- I thought that was hilarious. She's like, I'll go in your library. And she's like, it'll be a normal library. No, it's like the Beauty and the Beast library. I mean, the Beast's library, I should say. Yeah. Maybe not that gigantic, but it's got, like, amazing books and shit in it. Okay. I'm going to be honest. I quite like this book. It's not my favorite, but I had no problems reading it. (laughs) I, like, I didn't really want to put it down because I was just like, okay, what? (laughs) What's going to happen next with this weird-ass book? (laughs) I needed it to have, I needed to pick what it wanted to be. Yeah. This book had an identity crisis for me. Okay. If it had just been full bat shittery, I think I could have been on board. Okay. But Elizabeth Hoyt puts too much realism in there that for these people to be as poorly developed as they were Mm -hmm. with all of the trauma going on, I wasn't able to just be like, whatever, it's bad shit. I'm on for the ride. So it had its moments, but overall, um, my initial feelings when Mickey first did this to Silence, I was like, I'm going to fucking hate that book. I stand by that. <laughs> Wait, so you hated this book? I hated all the parts about Mickey and Silence's, like, dynamic. Okay. Except when it got so crazy, I was in love with it. Could you believe that Silence would fall for Mickey? No. I, she made me believe it. I believed it. I don't think Silence was a character. I don't believe she would do anything. She's a vessel. Do you believe a reader would fall for Mickey? No. Too evil. Murdered too many people. (laughs) Too much of a murderer. Too much murder and not, like, justifiable homicide. Too many rings. Too much murder. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the bottom line is, if you could fall for Mickey, you're one of those women who probably would write, like, sex letters to Charles Manson or whatever. No. What I mean is, (laughs) would you, as a reader, as a stand-in for silence, because you have to... Again, you are correct that silence is a vessel. And as a vessel, she's being filled by the reader's personality, right? Right. So I right. think so if I'm one of those women who writes letters to Charles Manson, yes, I could fall for Mickey. <laughs> I believed it. I guess I'm one of those women, lame. Oh Sorry. man. Oh yeah. Charles not Charles. Charlie Grady. Vicar of Whitechapel is a piece of shit. Yeah, so he's shown up in the earlier books. 
He showed up in la- the last book, yeah. The last book, like his perspective. I have Didn't to admit, what was I, there. I did not remember that. Okay, so that second book, I, I think you all know, if you listen to us, we didn't really like it that much. I remember being like, why are we reading from this guy's perspective? I did not remember that he was going to show up in this book. I was like, oh, it's that guy. I was very surprised when I was reading this book. Yeah, so he, I skimmed a lot of what happened with him in the second book because it was so irrelevant to what was yeah. going on in the text. Irrelevant. Um, but he's a pretty big part in this one. And he is a, one of the most evil villains you see in a romance novel. That said, it definitely boils back down to everyone just be crazy and crazy do bad things, which I is mean, never my favorite moral driver for a villain. That's, that's a good point. He's, and he's at the point where he's almost like a Batman villain. Yes, and I'd add to that that the villainous things that he did in the past that Mickey is still rightfully extremely scarred by were the actions of a man who didn't know how to succeed himself, so berated and belittled and took advantage of the people around him. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he then subsequently has found all of this success through being willing to get his hands dirty... Like, right. they did not read as congruous to me. I see what you mean, yeah. Like, they're both abusers, and they're both bad people. But the way he was an abuser and an evil guy in Mickey's memory versus this kingpin now... Right. ...didn't compute to me. Yeah, I get that. That's fair. That That's so totally fair. It's just crazy as evil is the moral of the story, and all kinds of evil are consistent. I'm not going to bother to, like, justify that there's different types. Yeah. So, um, Mickey has rings on, like, every single finger. hmm What do you think of that? Okay, first of all, I'm from New Jersey, so jewelry on men is, like, actually not something I notice. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's just culturally, like... My family's got bracelets and necklaces. I think we've talked about this before. We have. We talked about it with um, Mind Till Midnight. Yeah. So the men in my family are frequently blinged out. And that's just not something that registers for me as like a positive or a negative. Um, The rings are a lot. That said, I did sort of like the rings as the trophies of his conquest. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that was pretty fun. Like those are his souvenirs. I liked that. I also like at the end where he's like, just he basically becomes his currency as well. He's like, fine, I want this. Here, take a ring. Here, take all the rings. I liked it. I really. I, I it. think it was a really fun, like it was a fun personality trait and character quirk. Yeah, like this is and, where this book was so weird. And at the end, when he gives it away, it's it's. I mean, it's character development too. And you're like, oh my god, he really has changed. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Yeah. It's so I'm coming around on the rings. I don't know if I want to marry a dude who has rings on every single finger. And they're like giant rings on each finger. Right. Especially with the image of Johnny Depp at this point too, which, yep. However, for Charming Mickey and his character development, I think it was a really nice through line and Elizabeth Hoyt did it really well. I totally agree. Okay. Talk about that later. (laughs) Um, the B plot, not like the, the non main character POV chapters in this book 
were either the villain or Winter. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's not just me being a Winter stan that makes me say they were better done in this book than they've historically been. Obviously, the villain's POV was immediately relevant. And Winter's POV was actually a lot of him thinking about and trying to help Silence. Worried so about for all that it yeah. was like setting up the next book, there was a definitive reason for it to be included in this one. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying it will stay that way through the series. Goodness knows there are some side characters whose POV I skim through in subsequent books. But in this book, I didn't feel like there were the really useless other POV chapters. Yeah. I, I liked this one too. I liked... I liked that it brought the syndicate of ladies back because silence is not a part of the syndicate. This book does not take place in the foundling home. Uh, it could have felt disconnected from that as well. Yeah. So I think it was, I, I really liked that she brought back the lady syndicate as well. Well, and the Holybrook siblings. Mm-hmm. Like are the make unit the make, in this book? Mm-hmm. Yes, the make Sorry. Make peace is yeah. Silence's married name is Hornbrook. Um, yeah. Make peace siblings together, and I thought that actually worked really well. Yes. Like they haven't been as much of a through line in this series as you'd be expecting, given how many of them are subsequent main characters. So I I really liked. Oh my gosh, there was that part where Concord and Asa are fighting, and mm-hmm. Winter is just like they just fight all the time, and he just like zones out. Yep. Like I I loved it. Because then he's like, oh, they stopped. And he's like, okay, can we get back to the actual conversation? And they're like, yep. oh, yeah. It was great. I, I think that added a layer. What's weird is, again, this book, very mixed feelings about. This book did a lot more to build the series mm-hmm. than I feel like Hoyt usually does. I think her yes. books are usually extremely discreet. Yes. And I actually felt like this one, the non-Silence Mickey stuff, did a lot for the series as a whole. I agree. Totally agree. Not just the next book, which you know is going to be about winter. <laughs> but still a dance. Yes. But the, you know, like the other books too, like you, you start to get a feel for the other characters. Yeah. It, it, and, and the way they interact as a family. It's interesting because the Makepeace kids are not from this idyllic, super close family. Like, I think yeah. in a lot of ways it might be more organic and authentic to the time period. Mm-hmm. It's not this defining the Hathaways. They all live together as vagabond children or whatever. Um, but I think watching them come to know each other as adults in the context of this series has actually been really interesting and not something you see a lot of in romance novels. Yeah, I, I really like it. And it's quirks of fate that have brought them back together as well. Yep. Right? Like, Silence was not... Normally, she would be living with her husband, and she wouldn't have come back to be with Winter and Temperance and form yep. these other bonds. It was really nice. I liked it. Totally agree. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I love that blog of this book. The epilogue of this book was not about Silence, but at all. That's the, how the epilogue of all these books is, though. Like, right. each of it's these epilogues... Just setting up the next one, and because the next one is Winter's book. Really, Meg, you loved it. No, but also imagine reading this and not knowing what you find out in the epilogue. Like, you've you've been reading the series, and you're like, okay, okay. And then you're like, oh, my God. Like, she, there's this huge reveal. That was telegraphed real hard. 
I mean, yes, but still, like, you get the confirmation. Like, it's not just that, right. okay, I think this is going to happen. She confirms it at the end of this book. I mean, think of the hype. For the she confirms book. it and then does a fade to black. Like, it is... It's the yeah. season series. It's the season finale of like a really yes. intense TV show. Yes, it, that's that's exactly it. Like this yep. is the buildup for that book. Is like whoa. All I have to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, content warnings. There are a lot of them. Okay. I just I think the number of faces burned off with acid. There were two. <laughs> two content faces. warning. Two kinds of vitriol, which is acid, I guess. Yeah. And apparently, like, very easy to get your hands on because it's a side effect of making gin. Not a side effect, a side product. Great. I didn't know that. And I know a lot more about the gin industry than I ever wanted to know. More content warnings. Um... Domestic violence, and by domestic violence, I mean intimate partner violence and also child abuse. Uh, physical and emotional. Uh, he, his father pimped out his mother and then tried to pimp him out. Yep. Just general violence, punching, shooting, knifing, hanging. Like, if you could, if there was a way to be violent in the 18th century and you you know it's in this book yep and uh you know rape threats because women are objects to pirates, yes i guess that said not between hero and hero not between hero and heroine honestly though i think that's because this book is from 2013 yes if this book had been written a decade or two sooner I, I totally agree with you. If this book had been written in the 1990s, Mickey probably would have raped her in the first chapter. Let's be completely honest. If he didn't rape her in the first book. Yep. Well, that the first book would have been the first chapter. Right. Anyway. It didn't happen, guys. He didn't <laughs> rape her. He doesn't rape her. That's like the line most romance heroes don't cross these days. What a sad statement. <laughs> I was going to say it's the line they don't cross. And then I'm like, you know, I know there's a dark romance out there where that just happened. So I'm not going to, I can't make a blanket statement. Okay. Sexiness. We have a slight disagreement on this book because I think it's very sexy. And Lane doesn't. No, because a couple of things. One, this, the sex happens way later than it usually does in a Hoyt, and like the sexiness starts way later, which mm-hmm. you'd think, given that all the buildup was put into these two characters in the first two books, it would be like fast track to sexy times in this one. It was not. Two, when they do start having sex, it is after their on the run basically mm-hmm. and it's all very angsty and a lot of it is actually dirty and not like sexy dirty but like in like in stable places, dirty in yeah. prison dirty like and i just didn't get the chemistry between these two people at all uh-huh 
the, oh, I thought one sex scene in this book was hot, and it wasn't a sex scene. It was a him jacking off scene. Okay, guys. I have gone on the record several times to say, like, if I'm reading a romance novel, I want, I want female orgasm on the page, right? Somehow, I don't know how she does it, Elizabeth Hoyt will write jack-off scenes that are so hot. So this is not the first, well, no, it's not the first book she's done this in. I was I'm like, wait, is this the first one? It's not the first one. It's not the last one. They are no. so sexy. I don't know how I, she does it. Well, I'm like complaining about his pirating. I thought it was interesting that that was the only sexual encounter in mm -hmm. the pirate den. Well, there was also a kiss. He's in the bath. She walks in on him in the bath. They have I like a little the same scene. No, no, because it's later. It's not the same scene. He's in the bath. And then they, like, they kiss, and it's non-consensual, and it's not sexy, because she, like, tries to get away. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then this is later. Like, they, oh, my gosh. What happens is, this is, this is, okay. So the baby gets sick, and um, he, she is, stays up all night to watch the baby, and then he hears the baby like kind of whimpering and he goes in and he's like, oh no, I don't want the baby to wake up silence. So he picks up the baby and takes her in an adjoining room and he sings her a lullaby. His bedroom is the adjoining room. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. And then the, she wakes up from a dream hearing him sing this lullaby. And then she goes in. So this is also why she thinks he's like sexy is because like. He's shirtless holding a baby. Right, which is like total porn, you know, and singing an amazing lullaby. So then she takes the baby back and then she goes back to talk to him about something and she walks in on him, like jacking off to her. Like she knows it's about her too. You know? Yep. And oh, oh I'm sorry. He's also fantasizing. What's he's fantasizing about? Going down on her. may have something to do with why we were, we were into it. May. I mean, maybe. There are others. Maybe. Anyway, this scene is so fucking sexy. Correct. Oh, my God. Okay. Question. Does his country manor count as a sex cabin? Because almost all the sex happens in his country manor. It does not. It is not a, a cabin. It is a home. And it is, in fact, the place they intend to live permanently. Therefore, okay. it is not a sex cabin. All right. A sex cabin must be a retreat of some kind from the norm. And this is more like, this is more like where they're fucking when he's like bought the house to surprise her. And then they fuck okay. in the house for the first time. Okay. I guess I can, I guess that's okay. All right. There's the stable scene that I thought was extremely sexy. I guess Lane didn't think it was sexy. What? Cause it was in a stable. Cause it was in a stable and because he, all the sex happened because he wouldn't talk to her. Right. Like, it was angry sex, except Silent wasn't, wasn't actually angry. And then he and it was in the middle. It was, like, in the middle of something really traumatic. Well, that's like, true. His ability to, like, turn his, like, serious abuse on and off was, like, not sexy. I couldn't I, stop thinking about what had just happened and what was about to happen, but these two people are fucking in a barn. Yeah. And it was hot, in my opinion. Like, if you, to, in a vacuum, sure, but I can't erase what happened before or after or the fact that it smells like horses. 
Anyway, he's basically like, here, hold up your skirts while I go down on you. And yeah. make sure you don't make a word, don't make a sound, because there are people outside of the barn. Yeah. That was hot. I wish you'd gone down at her at the opera. Oh, oh my God. I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> that that would have been hard. I do not disagree with you. That should have been a scene that happened in this book. And not I just agree. sexy talking and fantasies. Correct. <laughs> All right. Spoiler tag? Yeah. I know this is a long episode. It won't be when I'm done editing. Because <laughs> this has been a hot mess. So, evil villain man is Mickey's bio dad. Right. And his, like, lifelong abuser. And somehow, he gets Mickey arrested for piracy. Right. Because he goes in league with the cops who are looking for gin distillers. Mickey doesn't distill gin, and everyone knows he hates gin. Like, I don't understand why the police got involved or how this was, like... How the vicar ended up on their side. Like, none of that made sense. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't really know how the vicar got Trevelyan to to arrest Mickey. I don't get it. But it happens. It happens. And you just have to throw out Look, he's a criminal. It's not like he's been arrested wrongly, you know? He's not wrongfully imprisoned. So it didn't, like, the fact that the vicar did it was a little annoying. But I was like, you know, it's not like Mickey didn't deserve it. Right, but the vicar doing it then leads to the final showdown, which, like, I just didn't understand how these people were... Anyway. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So, Mickey gets imprisoned, and at this point, he realizes he's been wrong all along, and he should have given up piracy for silence, and blah, blah, blah. And so, in this moment of clarity, he calls a vicar, not the vicar, a, a vicar, to the prison. He calls a, a chaplain. The prison chaplain. chaplain. They get married in the prison all of a sudden. And then um, he pays everyone off to go into the cell next door so they can fuck for an hour in the prison. Yeah, he does. He pays them with his rings, by the way. He gives one ring to silence as her wedding ring. He gives one ring to the chaplain to marry them. And then all the other rings, he's like, go in the other room from, so that my wife and I can enjoy a conjugal visit. Meanwhile, he hasn't showered in God knows how long. And he was drinking <laughs> himself to death in his throne room. Oh, in the throne room. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then he went right to the confrontation where he was arrested. And then he went right to jail. So this man is rank. I choose to believe because he had a really nice straw pallet in his bed, like in the prison. All I'm saying is the fact that that scene started with her blowing him. I was like, sweetheart. I mean, you're not wrong. The worst is it was like pitch black. And she's like, I can find him by his scent. <laughs> I was like, no. I, I was like gagging. I'm not kidding. Like, it, that was... The straw scene, like, the, the barn scene was just not hot because, like, all the emotional stuff surrounding it. This one, I was, like, kind of gagging in my mouth. I was like, you don't, you don't do that. Okay, so this is the thing that Lane had an issue with. Is she was like, well, they got married, and then she's married to Mickey. Well, she got married to Mickey because he was afraid she might be pregnant. 
because they had sex a million times and used zero protection. Well, here's what I love about that, though. He's like, I don't want her to have to live with the shame of having a bastard because her family would be so upset with her. Do you think that having an evil pirate child would make everyone happier? At least they were married. You've taken away her ability to, like, swiftly marry another nice person and cover up that she was with you. I mean, whatever. And then you're, (laughs) I don't know. That part didn't bother me. I was like, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, I mean, it is better to be married. Look, if she married him, she could always, and she wasn't pregnant, she could always be like, yeah, whatever. I, I wasn't married. She didn't have to say that she's married. It was just like an in case. Okay, moving on. <laughs> and then they would just get married later as, you know, Mr. Rivers. That's all. That is all. I had no issues with it. <laughs> this book made, I think, zero sense. it's because it really is because they don't I don't know you you are correct when you say no one thinks about the future okay here's what I actually think I needed this to be a sex book okay and this was so not a sex book it's true it's it's not it's not a sex book you are correct that's my official review (laughs) write it down (laughs) write it down down. thank you guys so much for listening we would love it if you would rate review subscribe check us out around the internet uh, wherever you find plot trysts including our wordpress site goodreads and instagram